Hello and welcome back to Going Through the Motions with me, Callum. And me, Alex. How's it going? Well, episode two, we decided to get a new mic. Yeah, I know. Hopefully this sounds better. Sounds more more kind of professional, I would say. Uh, well, I would like to hope that it sounds a darn sight better what, than the laptop mic. What was not professional was how we were setting it up. Oh. We've, we've, gripped, <laughs> we've gripped it onto an, Ike, an Ikea stand. There you are, Ikea. Plug a wee plug for that. An Ikea stand, yeah. So that originally came, we had that in our old flat, but you'll notice there's still this, the, the things at the bottom of this. Sorry, this is terrible podcasting because no one can see what we're talking about there. No. But it's imagine if you had a wardrobe, put it on its side and then put a TV on top of it. That's kind of how we've, we've set this whole thing up there. Yeah, it was, we, we had dismantling of components that didn't need dismantled. No, we had all sorts, it's, all sorts. It's, it's, it's working out now. Speaking of, how was your week? It was good, busy, a lot of playing. You were, so you were performing... You were doing an advert, weren't you, this week? Yeah, that's right. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? Well, you, you can save it till the end if you want. No, no, I'll talk about. It. I'll talk about it now. Yeah, last last weekend I recorded some music for a TV ad here nice. in the UK that will be airing. I don't know when. I think. I think the composer said sometime next week from when this podcast was recorded. No idea when this is going out, but we'll see. Never. Never. It's just going to stay on our hard drive to the um, end of time. But was it was it a Christmas advert? No, it wasn't a Christmas so, advert. It was. Um, oh, okay, I thought you were getting on board with it. Sorry, I wish I was. I wish I was like a John Lewis. Yeah, con- contributing to the se- season. I could put that on my CV. John Lewis had the amount of how popular those ads are. Yeah, yeah. I could mental. definitely like, put them on the CV. But so so. Okay, so talk me so talk me through this. So you you basically you went along, you performed for a full day. Is it, I mean because nobody know like I'm I'm speaking as the layman here. I don't know what uh adverts music because obviously the music yeah. in adverts um it, it does have to do the same job as music and film does yeah because it has to convey it but almost more to a point because they've got a shorter period of time they yeah. have to sell it so was it quite a stressful thing for you i mean you so what, not really talk, talk us through the day and your experience of this because i've never heard of anyone doing this before no well i mean it was really really fun i've recorded things before but not at such a professional level like it was a you know real studio with a real producer in a room somewhere with you know we had headphones and feedback mics Jesus. like um where so the producer can give us some, your, no your no no absolutely nothing we couldn't be like yeah guys that guy that guy that guy's a prick <laughs> He would have, he would have heard us, he would have heard he us, and that would have been it. And I would have shut up his ass. I mean, <laughs> he couldn't do that. Well, there's an image I can't get out of my head. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you rocked up. Yeah, and basically, did you bring one your minute, lunch with you? So it's a one minute ad, um, and uh, the composer had to write three tracks: a one minute track, a thirty second track, and a ten second track of basically the same material, so that they could they had different options if they had changed or something changed in the editing process they had so they had options to what the final product would be oh i see and then does it well i've got a question that pertains to this specifically for my movie that comes and i'll come back to this in terms of the final decision isn't necessarily made in uh in the production it's more made in the editing yeah, I'd say nowadays definitely, and that's a great point because I'm going to talk a little. Bit. Should we get onto that? I reckon we we'll talk. I reckon throughout various episodes of this podcast, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about this because this it is, is fascinating. That, yeah, so I tell you what, we'll move on to this because I've got some questions. I'll, we'll come back to your your movie and your 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 pod your um your your movie 
recording lifestyle which is starting to to happen starting to emerge in the professional <laughs> yes, world and i'd love to have more of it <laughs> well it's it's in there. so uh this so we are going through the motions we're going to be taking uh a stroll down memory lane looking at some of our favorite movies and more importantly listening to the soundtrack listening to the the music in these films the scores and maybe just taking a peek behind the curtain learning um a little bit about where the sound came from, whose idea it was, and I think then discussing it together as how that, what it brings to the movie and, and how it affects the final final product. Would you say yeah. that's fair? This is, yeah, this is by no means an in-depth analysis of no, we like, don't movie scores, because frankly, even though, even though I'm a musician, I don't really care. No. I just kind of want to, I, I just enjoy soundtracks that, made, that make me notice it. We're such nerds as well because we'll just sit and talk about it as well. I'm like, yeah. oh, I love the bit when the violin went like that. Yeah. And we're like, literally, mm, we're like, nice. we're like the 12 year old kids that come out of the Transformers movie well, and go, Did you like the bit when? Did you like yeah, the bit yeah, yeah. when? Did you like you, the bit yeah. When? But it's, it, it's fair. So I'm going to start by asking because I think you know the movie. I've probably put the movie in the in the, the up top section of this. So actually, it's probably, probably well known. Do you know the, the, the famous Aesop's fable of the scorpion and the frog? No. You don't? No, the scorpion and the frog. Never heard that one. Okay, so it's a famous, it's a famous, uh, an, a story that paints the analogy of the characteristics and things uh, of people and inherent goodness in people and inherent wickedness in people. So okay. the story takes place in a jungle somewhere, right? And it's the jungle, um, okay. but the flood is coming, and basically there is a scorpion and he needs to cross this river, this flooding river and get to the other side of the river so that he can get to the jungle and be this safe. Is, this is starting to ring a bell. Right, okay, so he gets to the, the river, the, the front of the river and uh, he thinks, I can't go across, I can't swim because I'll drown. But he sees a frog. Yeah. And he says, okay, well, there's a frog, nice, let's, um, let, let's, use, let's use it. And he says, Mr. Frog, can you swim me across if I jump on your back? And he says, "Well, no, because you're a scorpion. You're, you know, you're you're evil. You're gonna hurt me. Yeah, you're gonna, me. yeah, you're gonna stop and the, me." And the scorpion says, "Well, no. Why would I do that? You know, we both want to get across this river. You, is, if you I sting well. you, I drown. If I sting you, I will drown. Yeah. And the, the frogs, you know, we're we're mutual benefit if we help each other. Well, we're not help each other, but we won't hinder each other. I and think I remember the end the of frog, this, but we'll see. <laughs> scorpion jumps on the frog's back. Halfway across, scorpion stings the frog. And the frog of course, says, it did. The frog says, uh, the frog says, "Why did you? Why did you sting me?" And, this, and the scorpion says, "Because I'm a scorpion." And that is yeah. it. So the movie is Drive, and you will notice from the from the off that the scorpion in that story is on the back of Ryan Gosling's jacket, and yeah. that was very very deliberate that they did. I love that, that. So jacket. It's a great jacket, isn't it? I know yeah. there's a guy we went. To, we can't say his name, can we? No. We went to school with. No. You, do you know who I'm talking about? The guy we went. It rhymes. I'm not gonna no, say don't it rhymes. Say it, rhymes. <laughs> it, 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 it rhymes. He was, it rhymes he was with, a big movie it, nerd. It as well. rhymes with Cutlass. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, he he had this jacket, and I remember he wore it one day, and he had to go around because he he wore this jacket in, and he was expecting everyone to go, "Wow, that's really deep. That's really interesting." You decided to wear that jacket and stuff, but yeah. but he got annoyed a couple of hours in because nobody noticed the jacket and no one noticed what it was from. So basically, h halfway through the day, he um, he, he kind of poached us all and went, 
what do you think of the new jacket? And we're like, no, it's a nice jacket. And I said, it's from Drive. We hadn't even finished. We hadn't even finished saying to him, no, no, we think that's a really cool. Yeah, it's a really, really I, cool he jacket. What, he wanted somebody to say that he looked like all. Ryan Gosling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he wanted someone. Yeah, just someone just to go. God, you look really deep oh, and God. interesting and intense. God. Not just no, he used not, to just stare. Deep and interesting. Do you know Ryan Gosling. Thing? So do you know he the funny thing as well Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling in Drive is he's known because he doesn't say much. So it was counterintuitive for him to kind of walk around because he doesn't say much. The guy we went to school, he doesn't say much anyway. Yeah. And and then in an effort to try and be cool, he kind of deliberately didn't say anything else. So we just went, that's classic. And at least had his name there. Yeah, <laughs> just don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, so Aesop's Fables, where it, where it started at there. So basically, you, so you've seen you've seen Drive. I so have seen Drive. Tell, tell me your thoughts on Drive. Great movie. So Drive is, uh, it tells the story of a Hollywood stunt driver who also makes a bit of money on the side as a getaway driver for gangs. He has a very, very set uh, instructions that he gives. So he basically gives people five minute window in and out. And he is a spectacular driver. He uh, works in an auto repair shop for, for, a, for a guy who got him into the Hollywood stunt business. And he yeah. sort of spends a lot of his time tuning up cars and stuff. There's a really great scene where he... Uh, he's kind of having a, a car. I think the, the guy who owns the car repair shop, Brian Cranston, we'll get, we'll get on to talking yeah. about him. So he uh, said something really interesting at one point. He sort of he gives them this car that he uses in a getaway. And he says, it's, a, it's an Impala, Chevy Impala, which is the most popular car in LA. Yeah. So they kind of think about things in that kind of way and, it's, yeah. and how to go under the radar and stuff. So in the movie, uh, our, we, we the, the movie starts with our, our Hollywood stunt driver. Uh, I had a few thoughts middle. about um, Ryan Gosling's character, actually, the stunt driver. I, yeah. It literally just appeared. Um, it literally just occurred to me just now. Do you think he is baby driver? I know what you're saying. I know. I think there is a. I think there was a very very um, close mix from from. Uh, I think I think Edgar Wright probably took a lot of cues from Drive. Probably, yeah. Or that. Well, the book. I mean, so I because I reckon they look quite similar. They do look a little. So I deliberately did not look into the differences between the movie and the book for this because the book doesn't have the soundtrack. But I'm. Do you know why that's really embarrassing? I didn't even know there was a. Book. There's a book. Yeah, yeah. There's a book. Is it good? So it's original. Oh, you've yeah, not I mean, read. Well, so I know a little bit about. it. I think the story stays the same. Apparently, though, in the book, and I don't know if this is true. That I may be talking. About, I don't know what I'm talking about, but. I think that he is autistic or he's painted to be autistic and they never say anything, yeah. which kind of um, adds to maybe the character in, in the sense that he, he, uh, he doesn't, his communication skills are not really on the same level. But what's amazing what they do... Yeah, he's definitely socially Socially awkward. O- o- awkward. And, it, and, it's, and Gosling, it doesn't throw in your face the sort of social awkwardness. You kind of think it's more a stylistic choice, I think, than an actual character trait. Yeah. Um, and, and because it, it carries the way through. The soundtrack itself, it, it, it's an unusual one. Basically, it takes more of a techno-y sort, sort, of, uh, sort of beat there. Um, so it was directed by uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, Ref, I can't pronounce his surname there, who, who basically was the director. And the orig- a lot of the original music came from Cliff Martinez, and Cliff Martinez is the guy who was in charge of the whole score and the soundtrack through the movies. Is there a lot of original score in this? Because I'll be honest, the big the the big highlights for me were the extra yep. techno-y songs, songs that they put in it because they were real features. So we'll get to that in a second because that's a great point. It's a great point you make. So the film starts with the thumping heartbeat of Tick of the Clock, a song by the Chromatic. 
So the Chromatic are our band that basically provided this techno sort of beat, which is during the start sequence where uh, you're watching one of the um, the getaways. He's there and he does this amazing thing where he takes his watch off and he puts it around the steering wheel, yeah. emphasizing that you know he is keeping a track of the time and so it's ticking off the clock. And the, the and the, the 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 beat of the song is kind of like the heartbeat of the driver and everyone involved with this thing because it's kind of you know it, it, it's, it's thumping it's thumping it's thumping and and you can tell so basically they um found this actually online so basically it adds to the palpable tension in the opening scenes um, and it's kind of a crow track style sound and a crow track style sound is a, is a sort of german funk beat music which is kind of a constant thudding beat throughout yeah um it, it was coined in uh the age of techno giovanni giorgio and stuff these guys were, were, would do quite a lot of it there um so what nicholas winding rent said about it was he says the opening chase scene was primarily filmed um with the with the within the car's interior so a lot of it's from the car side yeah um, in an interview winding rent revealed the idea for this scene was to emulate the feeling of a driver in an ocean of sharks, never leaving the vehicle during the car chase so that the audience can see what's happening from the character's point of view. Yeah. Tight on money and time, he shot the scene in two days with two different setups prepared in the car, with director found it with the director found it difficult to have mobility with the camera. So he would then switch the camera to two additional setups nearby. As downtown Los Angeles had changed for the better, Renf avoided certain areas to preserve the gloomy atmosphere. Additionally, the scene was shot at low angles with minimum light. Right. And so it, it, I think the whole scene of like it's, it kind of feels like the sharks, he's, he's navigating through rough water. And I remember when you start watching the scene, you're on the edge of your seat and the tick of the clock is playing and it's dun, 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 and it's just this. Yeah, the atmosphere they set like in the whole movie is just really tense and really effective yeah and it's quite dark and again the music plays a quite a large part it does it does and 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 as well it kind of the music fades out near the end because he gets in he's listening to the ball game as he's or i think it's a basketball game as he's playing uh as he's driving and and the you can hear the comment commentary of the basketball play on the back room which is kind of muffled and then it ties it together when he drives into the car park and he parks the car he turns the jacket takes the jacket off and puts the cap on the la uh, cap on there and the, the the music and the scene just fades to sort of black yeah you've just reminded me of like one of my favorite rock songs have you listened to the meatloaf album bat out of hell, Battle of hell yeah, yeah, yeah yeah do you know which track i'm gonna i'm gonna say about which, this? One? which one um paradise by the dashboard light i can see oh yes because <laughs> yeah because there's this bit have. towards the yeah. end of basically meatloaf and oh this is really terrible i really Stop right down. I, I should really know who the girl duetting with um oh, with Jesus. meatloaf was but they're basically going to get it on in the car sure. and then there, there's this hilarious um section where there's a baseball sportscaster like um yeah yeah um, and what's hilarious about the fact that it's baseball is obviously because they're going around the bases and you know that thing when oh, you're in school going, that's going to first base and going that's to second funny. base. Okay. And it's like, it, it's a it's a narration of um, a, ba- a baseball game mm-hmm. and Meatloaf getting it on. <laughs> I, I can't see who it was. It's Jimmy Stone. Uh, I can't find it anywhere. Maybe, maybe it doesn't exist. Maybe we just made it up. Yeah. Maybe it's not, well, so th- that's kind of what happens at the opening scene opening scene of drive there so from there then it just happens 
And you know the song I'm talking about, the song that just, this, the song that's so good, it made me create a podcast and listen to this song as I was driving around my shitty little Honda Jazz at night when I'm driving nice. around Edinburgh, which was French DJ Vincent Bello, uh, Belorgay's, better known as Kavinsky. It just hits you with the pulsing drum track and the shot of LA at night with the song Night Call. Yeah, Night Call's great. Night Call, it's just yeah. it's 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 the it's the minor key that gets it. And something else that I so I I wrote here, its inclusion in the film was suggested by the editor Matt Newman, which goes back to what I was asking before about yeah. they the the editor decided that he wanted this. So which begs the question: How often does that happen? So how often do you think editors directors decide on a movie soundtrack? when they're sat in the editor seat as opposed to when they're when they're sort of writing the film. Do you think, do you think that happens a lot or do you think I directors kind of I cuz I always was under the impression you know you hear the stories of Tarantino who almost comes up with the movie when he's listening to his soundtrack who we'll in, be talking about later. We'll, we'll get into that one a little bit later. But you've got um you've got some got hey <laughs> sorry Maddie's coming in to grab her iPad. Um you you have the editor sat in the studio who's deciding that actually do you know what would be a good song at this scene particularly? And I think that that's, um, I think that's quite a good idea for editors to do this because they can see everything in front of them. They can see what ones fit, what one maybe doesn't fit at the time. When, and it kind of well, I reckon song choices are dictated by the director mm -hmm. or um, the writer, or like you know whose whose movie is it? Sure. Sometimes it's sometimes it's the writer's movie. Sometimes it's the the uh, director's movie. Yeah. I reckon who whosever movie it is, like whoever came up with the concept and whoever wanted to dictate the tone i think song choice yeah and soundtracks is like a really pivotal point in that i don't think you're gonna get an because an, an editor is not i mean okay sweeping statement alert but like i feel like a lot of editors it, it, it's, it's their job to edit yeah I, you know i don't think that they're necessarily making creative decisions. Well, that's what... And, and I read and this. I could be very, very wrong no, about I, that. I, I and if I am, I do apologise. And I read this, <laughs> and I kind of thought to myself, like, so before this editor spoke up, and I couldn't find this anywhere online, what what was the choice? Did they have a decision that they were going to do? I, I don't know. But, I mean, it, it to me, it is a bit crazy how it's it's for such an impactful song, it's crazy to think... You know, it's like when, they, when you say, oh, that line was improv in a movie. You go, what an amazing... You know, you talking to me? improv yeah but you think like it's amazing how that was just thrown in at the last second and what yeah. an effect that has and i think this night call is i get the impression this was the last line of defense to put a song in was in the editing sequence yeah. and so that is the equivalent of an ad lib yeah in, from from a music perspective okay. and i, I kind of have the impression that that's the kind of that's why that's I interesting got. but it fits with the it fits with the tone of the movie because my actually it's interesting because night night was it? it's night call, night call isn't it yeah night call i i love that song in the movie and i listened to it outside the movie and that's when i know that like a soundtrack has got me mm. is when i go is like when i go into itunes or whatever and i listen to the soundtrack of any movie without the movie yeah i think if you if you find yourself wanting to listen to a soundtrack of a new movie that yep. you've seen then you know that, that you know that that soundtrack's done its job because I don't do it with every movie I see. I'm, I mean, I'm a nerd, but I'm not that much of a nerd. Oh, I only do some, it with the ones that I some like. Some movies. I mean, <laughs> but what I did, I did the worst one with this one because, like I said, I made a, I made like a playlist, like a driving playlist. Yeah. And it was all the songs from the Drive soundtrack, and then from there I went into other stuff. You know, I went into uh, yeah. uh, an album that I'll get onto actually at the end of this is my little 
takeaway from this as, as well. A lot of songs from that, that kind of technoy vibe. Yeah, um, I'll get back. I'll get back to actually yeah. that. Yeah, but one. it's interesting you brought up that that technoy vibe because th- this movie is kind of set in the kind of slightly seedier side of Los Angeles. Right? Yeah, and do you not think that a lot of movies that are set in that setting have a have a similar sound? I'm thinking. I'm thinking of things like Blade Runner. Sure. That's a obviously a futuristic mm. um, movie. It's set in the future, but it still depicts a gritty, futuristic Los Angeles. And the soundtrack is very techno. There was yeah. another example I was just thinking about, and I can't remember for the life well, the, of me well, what the it was. One I, the one that I come away from this is I just get like a GTA vibe. Do you know, like a kind of GTA 5 kind of vibe with the with the sort of the music. So it was the, the the style choice was actually based on a different type. It was an indie game called Hotline Miami. Right. So it, it, Google Hotline Miami, and you can see kind of the stylistic decisions that Drive took. But I kind of get almost like a like a Grand Theft Auto s sort of vibe you, when you listen to. I remember playing GTA Five and listening to the radio stations and stuff in that. Yeah. You can there's there's some really good you know like Lord does a song Tennis Courts which is in in that song and I remember when that comes on and you're driving you know through GTA Five's landscape at night I'm like this is really drive esque. Yeah. So you asked about original pieces from pieces of music in this. Yeah, I'm interested to how much there actually was. So basically, I Drive is an original piece by Cliff Martinez and is such a beautiful and delicate piece of music that creates a calming and soothing presence. And this really adds to the kind of almost nervous and curious encounter between Irene and the driver. So this is the scene where they are both in the apartment because he helps her uh, with her her car, she has car problems at, at the store. And he goes and helps her, and, yeah. Um, and it kind of what's amazing is they they deliberately cut out any vocal interactions between the two, but the eyes. I mean, everything is communicating the eyes in these two characters, yeah. And they really go, they really go, uh, uh, you, you know, into into the, the almost the too long the lingering scenes of them staring at each other. And when they when they they bring them into the auto shop, Brian Cranston character who who basically is the kind of the owner of the auto shop who fixes her car for her. So it goes, oh, well, the kid will give you a lift home, won't you? And he's kind of like, you know, whatever. And, and he tells Irene a little bit about who he is. He says he just showed up one day out of the blue, and, you know, so I, and I've been, and he says, I've been taking advantage of him ever since. You should see him. He's, he's amazing with it. Yeah. So he's kind of like that engineer techie sort of mind. So another song that I really want to talk about in Drive mm-hmm. is uh, the song Real Human Being. See, that's my favorite one. Is it really? It is actually my favorite one, but I'll I'll confess to that reason being just because I like the song more than the other one. Mm. I've seen I have seen Drive more than a couple of times. Mm. So it's not a movie that I've just seen once. Mm. So I'm not speaking for like what's more effective in the movie because sure. actually thinking back to when I last saw Drive, I think you're right. I think um Nightcall is like a super effective moment in the movie. But like listening to it on the soundtrack and I'm just listening to the music, I always go to a human being and I don't know what it is. There's just something about it. It's because really... you are a real human being and <laughs> you are a real hero, Alex. Do you think that to yourself? You Aww, you're too kind. You know, I am a real fucking hero. Aww. Do you like help people up off the ground? Like, I'm a real ju- boy. Someone just drops a, a, their wallet in front of you on the tube and you're like, oh, let me get that up. Real human being. As you That'd be great. To them there. That's what happened to you my say, head. I'm a real, I'm a real human being. <laughs> well, okay, there you go. In my head. That is my theory on Drive. My theory is that the soundtrack is taking place in the driver's head. 
Ah, interesting. Think about it. Think about right. it. I mean, so real human being, real hero. He's driving her down. As she, he's driving the car. He's how weird is it, right? In in the film, he says to her, like this this absolute quiet guy. He goes, "Here, I, I want to show you something," and it just cuts. She's she's a nutcase. She should just go. No, why? Just drive me home. You're a yeah. stranger, and why are you driving me to an abandoned a, a, a chick? That, what is it? A levy? You know, from American Pie, they take they drove my Chevy, Chevy to the, to the levy. Yeah. The levy was dry, and I think that's what a levy is. Maybe I'm talking nonsense. You know, the storm, like a storm drain in LA. Right. And he just piles the car down there, going at full speed. And they're all like, "This is fun. We're fun. This is fine." Just Don't they do your, that in Greece? Put your kid on the lap. Yeah. Like if he's got a seatbelt on, he's like, "I'm a real human being, and I'm a real hero." Right. And that's wait, so wait, so what are you saying? Is it just the soundtrack that's in his head, or I is think it so? Is it so. um, the characters as well? No, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. I think that the characters are real. I think this is him interacting. The other example of that is the other song, which is Under Your Spell by, is it Desire is the song. Yeah. Um, and basically, the, I've, 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 I wrote a little down here. The lyrics just add to the mental separation they both feel for each other. So that's the scene where Standard comes back. Yeah. The husband comes back. Yeah. And... He kind of feels that... So maybe this is where the theory breaks down because the song starts as if they're listening to it in his return party in the flat. Yeah. But then the music really turns up. He's like tuning... He's like engine or piece... I don't know. I'm not yeah. a car mechanic. He's tuning this piece of... of um, of a, of a car on his own in the flat. And it's just... And the lyrics are like, I can't eat, I can't sleep, I do nothing but think of you. Is the, is the lyrics that are playing you're yeah. like oh god like he just sat on his own like what a lonely city that must be if it's alone <laughs> you know what I mean if you're alone and you're just kind of like good grief but I, I think that is I think that as a song see I see why you're drawn towards real human being because you are a real human being and you are a real hero whereas thank you very much I often can't eat or can't speak but not do nothing but think of you so Fair that's enough. probably why we're taking for those two I feel like we keep coming back to this aspect that I'm just fantastic oh everything. also the motel scene. Do you know the, the one I'm talking about with Christina Hendricks? And it is brutal. Like it is Wait, the hard. one in the elevator? No, we'll get to that one in a second. I'll <laughs> get to that. I mean, that there are some uncomfortable, brutal scenes in this in this movie. Yeah. Where th- it kind of just like catches you off guard. And you're like, oh God, like... But the sh- so she just basically gets a shotgun to the head or something in the bathroom. And it just comes out of nowhere. Like you weren't expecting it. But the, the elevator scene is also just yeah, 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 like, yeah. yeah. And that's where, and the Cliff Martinez song, I Drive, comes back there. And yeah. it's kind of like the, mo- the moment with the two of them there. And it's so claustrophobic. And you're like, oh, that would it be is. horrible. Um, sound editing, okay, in this movie. I want to say something else that made me really uncomfortable watching this movie. There's a scene where the driver confronts like a kind of, like a, a, like a, a lower henchman-esque guy in the nightclub yeah. scene. He goes to like a strip bar or something like this. And he brings the hammer. Yeah, and because the the gangsters gave a bullet to Gabrielle the son as a kind of warning, threatening to be like, I, I'm kind of implying like this is your bullet. If your dad doesn't pay us, you're gonna yeah. get this bullet in the head, which is so dark. Yeah, and they know it's never said, but it's implied. But basically, when the driver confronts him, he takes a hammer, and there's this really uncomfortable sound where he takes the claw end of the hammer and he sticks it in his mouth, and it's that kind of like noise where the teeth is against the, the, the hammer and you're like oh god yeah, like they, they over they overemphasized they a sound effect to for like impact well it's like it's like in a horror movie when someone picks up a knife yeah. what noise does it make when someone picks up a knife when have, <laughs> when have you ever picked up a knife and went 
And if you did, you're like, what is this? Or like when someone, I mean, like, I often take samurai swords out of sheaths, but when a, when a yeah. samurai sword comes out of a sheath, it's that. Yeah, shing. The power, but, but, and it's just this horrible. It also sound. comes up with like a, a pow speech bubble. Mm, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. It yeah. comes up with a pow speech bubble and a kind of kaplow. There is another song in this movie that stands out, um, but I don't like this song. Right. Because it makes me feel uneasy. And the, so basically the, the, the song um, basically starts after the brutal death of Cook um, and Shannon, which is Brian Cranston's character. Yeah. Who has this horrendous, the death scenes are just, and it just shows how menacing Albert Brooks is. Fun fact for you. Go on. Pixar film. Albert yes. Brooks oh. is in a Pixar film. Who oh, is it? What is oh, it you're emba- you're gonna embarrass me because I love a Pixar movie. And it's it's just the most Albert Brooks. Yep. Albert. Oh. Okay. Um, I don't know. Uh huh. But if I was going to make a guess, I would say Monsters Inc. No. Oh. He plays Marlin in Finding Nemo. Oh, of course dad. he does. I knew that. And he's oh. just so he's like Nemo, and he's, you can hear his voice. In, in this, but then when you see him in this role, it is just night and day. Because you, th- you think about it, he's just this loving father who cares yeah. for his son and stuff. Whereas in this movie, he plays this absolutely ruthless killer. Well, what, I, what I now want to know is, have you just ruined Finding Nemo for me? Because nah. I'll never forgive you if you've done that. You've never seen Finding You've seen Finding Nemo. No, too. I've seen Finding Nemo, but am I now going to watch Finding Nemo and, yeah, only, and only see this psychopathic... You're going to have to go and touch the butt. Yeah, for this psychopath. Yeah. It is cr- It is jarring. Yeah. I- no, I don't know. I think that it lends itself. It's kind of like the other one that it reminds me of is Joe Pesci, how he yeah. was obviously home alone and was in uh, Casino and uh, and, uh, and, Ra- and Raging Bull and, and, yeah. and The Goodfellas. So he plays this horrendous evil gangster, but then he's also in this kind of like funny film and maybe whilst he's still playing a baddie, you know, he's not as, he's more sort of comedy than than villainry. Yeah. But th- like this is over the top. Albert Brooks just knocks it out of the park. There's a song that's played, and the song is called "Oh My uh, Oh My Love." Yeah, and it's played by it's it's, it's Katiana uh, Ranieri, uh, and it's featured in, in a movie from the seventies, an Italian film called "Goodbye Uncle Tom," but it gives this really unnerving because it's like you know those. Do you, do you listen? To, do you watch the ASMR videos? Do no, you know what that is no. I know about it. Is that not just like the super relaxing? It's the one where they whisper. In. This is, I hate it. I hate it so much. Some people, people find that people some people it. find that really like satisfying, and maybe sometimes in a creepy it way. It's really like, weird. Oh. It's weird. And people make a lot of money from these videos and stuff. But, yeah. But I, I just, I, I can't get on board with these things. So this song, it does the same thing because it's a really intimate song, and you can hear her really breathing as she. Do you sings feel violated, Callum? It is. You, Do you watch feel it. violated. And then, when you and then, and then to on the screen, <laughs> and on the screen, it's horrendous. It's like he takes Ron Perlman's character, he puts the creepy mask that he that he was when he was a stunt driver over his face. Yeah. And he and he basically just takes out. Uh, I think it's Nino. Uh, I wrote it down here the characters. I think it's Nino, and so he, not Nemo. Not Nemo, no, 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 yeah, so Ron Perlman plays Nino, and Albert Brooks is finding Nino in right. Drive, <laughs> Okay, where he's finding Nemo. I think we've just cracked this there movie it is. wide open. This so, is what the movie's and, actually about. And Nino dies in the sea. He drowns him in the sea, the driver. I mean... They're like, what the hell was We've that? got it, we've got it. But this movie, like, that song, it's like, oh my 
and it's just this beautiful sweeping song and there's this absolute atrocities are happening on the screen you're like yeah. oh god this is bleak and dire dark and dire <laughs> um but like the aesop's fable that we started with my goodness this scorpion ends up stabbing the frog in the sense of the driver and Bernie stabbing each other. And they basically, there's a really good scene where the stabbing takes place and it just shows their shadow and how they're kind of dragging each other down together because they've both been stabbed when they bring double cross at the end. Jeez. And it's just, and it's so poetic and it's so, it, it's so, it, it's menacing and it's dark, but it's also quite beautiful. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's the, that's the sort of major headlines of the songs within Drive. I highly encourage, highly encourage, watch yeah. it again and listen back to some of those. It works beautifully, for me, it works beautifully as the score and a soundtrack of a movie and also conceptually as like an album yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. I really, really appreciate that. Like kind of like a more kind of hyper stylized thing of what Quentin Tarantino does sure. in... in uh, in his movies, yeah. which I believe is what we're going to go on to, right? right? We'll talk about that. One thing I'll, I'll take away from this, one, one thing, one final suggestion I'll give, and this is a little suggestible. If you if you like this kind of music, listen to Daft Punk's album, Random Access Memories. Oh, great recommendation. That is, that is the kind of, <laughs> it left me wanting more, and that's where I went to. So yeah, it was like, what I was saying about the soundtrack of Drive almost being crafted like a Quentin Tarantino soundtrack. So what I'd like to talk about is Quentin Tarantino's newest release, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yes. Nice. Never saw it. What? You never saw it? That's interesting, because I could have sworn that you came to see it with me. <laughs> I was dancing away with it. What did you think of this movie? I really we liked we it. We haven't discussed... We do this thing where Alex and I will go and see a movie together but we'll see it in the evenings of like weekdays and we're both so busy that we don't really have a time to sit and debrief about it afterwards. No, we don't. And, and, also, never... and also, I always come to your your yeah. area of London to come and see, you do. To see the movie, which I don't mind. Such mainly, a nice guy. Mainly because... A real it's human the, being it's and a real hero. Mainly because <laughs> it's the cheapest place to go, to go and see it in London. But the sad side effect of that is it takes me about 50 minutes to get home. So usually when the movie in, it finishes, I'm like, right, piss off. I need my bed. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk later. <laughs> we'll talk later, but we never do. No, let's no. do this. Um, no, we did, and I, I really, really liked it. And actually, it, I find myself thinking, based on the last movie we talked about, Drive, and I never th thought I'd ever say this that actually we're going from a slightly bleaker movie in yes. Drive to a slightly more jovial, colourful movie in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I never thought I'd find myself describing that about a Quentin Tarantino movie. It is jovial, isn't it? It is. And it is colourful, because obviously compared to Hateful Eight... Swing in 60s, mate. Yeah. Swing in 60s. Yeah. It, it really, it is really, really great actually for that, from that perspective. I Watching, so I watched this movie back recently because obviously we were going to talk about it on the show and I loved this movie so much more on the second time watching it. Ah, uh, yeah. I think second time, and I know third time watching it would be a charm but here's the thing i think if some if i showed this to someone who didn't watch this if we sat in, in the living room and watched this there's very few people in my life who would have the patience to sit through this without twiddling their phones or whatever this sort of stuff do you know what i mean yeah because the, i think 
the biggest selling point I can make for this movie is its total immersion in like a snapshot in time. Yeah. The whole movie is just LA in in the 60s. I don't and want to go down the whole cliche because all the reviewers were like, it's a love letter to Hollywood. I mean, and it's, it's hard not to say that though because it kind of is. Yeah. You, you just kind of get the sense that Quentin Tarantino, um, you know, and he's said many times before that he loves movies made in that era. Yeah. So it was only a matter of time before he'd make a movie that was set in that era yeah. and about movies of that era. Yeah. Because like with, all, like with all Quentin Tarantino movies, he makes movies for himself. Filled with feet. Yeah, filled with filled with feet shot. Sick bastard. Actually, this one had the most horrific. <laughs> there was some really crude. Like there was there was one like most of them are just like when I first found out about the feet thing, I looked back through the Quentin Tarantino <laughs> movies and I was like, oh yeah, he does have a thing with feet. But in this movie, there's literally a, a pair of feet on the dash for about for like a good five minute yeah. car ride, and not only that, it actually seems like the camera is focused. On oh, the feet it's... and everything else like, around it me. is blurred, and you're like, "Okay, come on." He he does that classic thing of when you don't like your nickname that people give you, just start you start calling yourself that yeah. so that they get bored of it. Yeah. And so he's just like, "Yeah, I've got a feet fetish. I'm going to show feet." And now no one really talks about it. No one really goes into it. And it's kind of yeah. like, oh, "I guess that's what he does." And well, that's his thing. yeah, because it came up in like all the reviews. All the reviews I read of it, but the tone that everyone looked at was just like, "Yeah, we get it." Uh, <laughs> Tarantino on his feet. Oh, here we go again. Innocent. <laughs> it's such an innocent fetish. Like, there's nothing weird about it. Or, but like at the same time, you're like, bro, why? Why feet? I know. And actually, when you look, when you look back on, um, I've got impressive feet. Yeah. Mm, okay. I, I mean, if if you say so, mate. But like, when you look back mm. on like Tarantino's yeah. filmography, I very good. You're you're really <laughs> I'm good. Like a monkey. Yeah, but when you look back on Tarantino's uh, filmography and you look back on the feet stuff, yeah. and then you get a scene like in Death Proof where Kurt Russell goes up to the feet outside of the car and starts like tip, like stroking this girl's feet, foot, and you go, oh, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Speaking of uh, Death Proof, actually, I'm sure we'll come to this one at one point there. I was listening to uh, Down in Mexico on the way. I was I was leaving. I was leaving, I was leaving work and I was listening to it as I was walking to the tube. And I think that was the song that put my life into colour with respect to music in movies. That was the one that made me go, yeah. wow, that is a now, powerful Callum, impact. Hand to God, is that because when oh, it's played in the movie, it's a, it's, it's a striptease. Oh, it's a lap dance. And Callum goes, oh, oh, I'm paying attention now. <laughs> There's a lady gyrating on a chair. It's, it's a great, it's a great scene. Look, and it's a it's, great song. It's a great scene. <laughs> but it's, it's the, yeah, it's the, yeah. I, I think it's a great, I think that's a, I think it's a quote. But that put my life into motion. And yeah, th so there's a lot of feet in Hollywood. So the movie, how would you explain this movie to someone, like the plot? Well, again, I wouldn't, I, I would, if somebody asked me what the plot was, I would say not important. Yeah. I would say not important. I'd say you've got a couple of main characters who have very, like, you know, they, they, they occupy their own roles sure. in the world of 1960s Hollywood. One is Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio's character who is, you know, a, 
leading man actor, but who's kind of on his way out, Mm. as it were. And he's kind of struggling to find his new role Mm. in the way cinema is going. I won't, like, spoil all all the movie here because I don't really think it's that important. But um, I think it ties quite nicely back to last week's episode when I was talking about Singing in the Rain because actually when I was thinking about it... it, (laughs) Yeah, when I was was thinking about it... You are a real human being. Okay, okay. Um, If you say that many more times, I'm going to start doing some heavy editing. When you think about it, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is a hundred percent like Don Lockwood in Singing yeah, in the Rain. Yeah. Because in in Singing in the Rain, Hollywood is moving towards talking pictures, sure. and Don Lockwood doesn't know where he fits in that. Mm. And in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's like moving. At I don't know what what would you say what would you say because it definitely feels like he's struggling with some kind of transition but for the life of me I can't think what I mean I think it's just what ob- that it's, is. it's obsolescence and um there's a great scene there's a great f- scene at the start with Al Pacino in it and he says something really interesting he says you're always perceived as the guy who loses the fights yeah. and that gets to him and I think it's I think it's it's, it's as much as a psychological defeat in his head he thinks that he's you know i think he's he, he thinks of himself as an alcoholic and he stumbles through his lines and 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 you know that thing right, i think he is an alcoholic but uh, yeah, well that's <laughs> it but i think and it, and it kind of all comes crashing down to him um with it within that within that sort of op- with that opening um i would say it's a, a, an opening-esque interaction with al pacino and so i think that's the kind of thing is that he and he's now having to do something drastic with his career, i.e. go to Italy, make a spaghetti westerns, or do something that's a little bit yeah. different. Um, yeah. And so I think that kind of plays plays on his mind quite quite a lot through, throughout it. Um, yeah, he's definitely... It, the whole movie is, ba- is basically um, Leonardo DiCaprio going through a professional and personal crisis. Crisis, yeah. But that's not why you go and see this no. movie. The reason you go and see this movie is the painting that Tarantino has, has created. And a huge part of that for all his movies, and especially this one, is the music. Yeah. Now, I've spent the last last couple of days listening to the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood soundtrack, mm-hmm. and every single song is a song of the time. Yeah. And what I think really helps immerse the audience in the movie is the fact that, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I am, is that every song is presented in the movie as if it was heard on a record player or a radio. Yeah. So it exists in the movie. It's not scoring. And I absolutely love that. So he does this with... uh, So basically, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he creates the station KHJ Radio, which is what he he sings. And he does, on the soundtrack, you can hear all the little jingles and stuff between that. Okay, so now I have a question about this. Are all those... What would you KHJ? KHJ. Are all those like ads? Are they real ads or are they were they created for the movie? I don't know. Are they real? Can you find out for us? Are they? Mm. I think they were created. I because he did the same thing with the the super sounds of the seventies yeah. yeah, in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, and no, yeah, now that you remind be. me of that, I think they must have been created, and I absolutely love that because again, yeah. it 
um, it helps with the immersion. And even without the movie in front of me, as I said, I was listening to mm. the soundtrack as I was just going about my life. And I was walking walking around through London, listening to mm-hmm. 1960s Los Angeles radio as trying to sell Chevys or... Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, what was what was another ad? Well, it's the, it's the one. It's the it's the the one. My favorite one is the the final one, which is the Batman and Robin, the commercial. You know the 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 special call. It's during the credits, and it plays yeah. the Batman and Robin theme. Yeah. And it and it has the voices of Batman and Robin come on, and, and obviously yeah. they're trying to sell some sort of promotion within the LA radio scene. Yeah. And it just it's just like this is cool. Like, it's a very distinctive sound, isn't it? Can I be controversial? Oh, go this on. This is the first Quentin Tarantino movie where there was one song and I disagreed with its inclusion and I thought, come on, I don't think that one worked. Can you tell me which one it is? I mean... I'll give you a clue. What? It's because this song is more famous in another movie. Surely not the Simon and Garfunkel one. Yeah. What, Mrs. Robinson? Mrs. Robinson, yeah. Really? It took me... It, it did kind of take me out a little bit and I liked it because it played... It played a really good part when... Um, when Pussycat meets um, uh, Brad Pitt's character, it's Rick, no, 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 that's Leo uh, DiCaprio's. It's goodness. We we'll have to edit this one here if we know what we're talking about. Okay, we'll call him Brad Pitt at the moment, the stunt driver. Yeah. But the, when the, these two first lock eyes, it has that Mrs. Robinson theme, yeah. which is famous from The Graduate, where yeah. Dustin Hoffman and, and and you know, it's, are you trying to seduce Mrs. 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 Robinson? Isn't it? That's yes. Yeah. And um. Whereas this is the kind of the roles are reversed. He's an older man and she's a younger girl. Yeah. And they play it. And I'm like, I don't know if that was the right song to have in that scene. Yeah. I think there could have been something that totally... Was it maybe because that the song seemed to be a commentary on what was happening in the scene, which kind of makes it unbelievable that it was playing on a radio in the movie? No, I just don't like the song. Oh great! <laughs> no, no, okay. I didn't, no, yeah, you probably is that person. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever you said was that was the right answer. The first that was the right answer. You it. weren't listening to me, were you? <laughs> I think I know. I think I think the reason was is is because Tarantino just does a great job of picking a scene and defining that as his own one there, and 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 that song has kind of already been bagsied. Yeah, that's kind of what it was. But then I don't think he. Yeah, was but written, was he doesn't care. Yeah. There was. It was really written for it all. Wow, so KHJ was, was his own, as we suggest. Yeah. No, no, no. K, uh, KHJ was the, was the real radio. Was the real radio. Yeah, and he listened to 17 hours of it. He listened to 17 hours of that? Wow. Jesus. Where did he get 17 hours of Where did he? Where do you listen to that old radio stuff like that? I mean, you would have to really... Oh, he must, he, approach he the must have had to, yeah. To look this one up. Yeah. I'm sure. Someone re- email in if you know. We right. need to send an email. Regard- regardless... Of if he like created new radio ads or piled through seventeen hours of old sixties radio to find these ads to put in the movies. Even so, that's a level of like detail that really does immerse you yeah. in the world. Which again is why I don't really care too much about the plot. Yeah, because there isn't one, is there? Really? Because there, because there isn't one. There isn't one. And it like, yeah, the, I love it. The bit that um, the bit that I enjoyed watching this w- w- way through was when they put the Deep Purple song in Hush, 
which mm. is where Polanski's leaving his house. Yeah. And he's driving in the convertible with Sharon Tate. They're, they're, they're leaving, and it kind of has this extended scene of them driving through the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. That thing looks like an absolute fucking death trap. It they're does, going so it? fast. It does. And they're moving somewhere, and it's like, na, 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 na. And I'm like, Jesus, slow down. <laughs> yeah. I'd mean, be like, right, I, I don't care about this. I don't want to die. isn't it? I wanted to talk about like the song choices mm. in this movie as well because like even though all of them are specifically crafted to set the scene of yeah. the Hollywood sixties, they're also like personalized to the characters as well. Mm-hmm. When Sharon Tate's going to the movie theater, yeah. uh, remind me what the name of that song is again. The circle, the circle song. Oh, is what it's the called. circle song. Oh, the, cir- yeah. the circle game by Buffy Saint Marie. Yeah, and yeah, and I was listening to, it and it's. It's really different from all the other songs in the movie because I feel like a vast majority of the songs in the movie are very much like swinging party kind of uh, glamour Mm, mm. kind of aspects of it. Mm. Whereas this one's like really hippie, um, daisy chain, flower girl, flower girl, daisy chain kind of. yeah, I know exactly the point. I know exactly what you're trying you're trying to say. Yeah, and the lyrics are quite. yeah, they're, they're quite, kind of just quite like peace and love and this yeah, is yeah. nice and we kind of have that feeling. I was reminded the, the, sing, the, the, the singing style is kind of Carpenter's-esque, like Carol Carpenter kind of sound I got from yeah. up there. Karen. Karen Carpenter, sorry, yeah. Carol Carpenter. It's Carol King, Karen Carpenter. Carol. So, but that, but that's, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of vibe that I got from, from that piece. I like, I like that song. I thought it was quite nice. It was quite, um, you know, upbeat and stuff there. My favorite song. Yeah, go on. Or sec- I, there's there's two songs in this that I'll get to. And one will get to the end. There's a cover of California Dreaming. Yes. Oh, I loved that. And uh, I've got the. Is it Jose? It's Jose. Let me find it here. Just a beautiful, beautiful, like delicate cover. Jose uh, F. Fil- Filancio. I can't pronounce yeah. that one there. Be- beautiful, beautiful cover. And yeah. it was whilst the sun was setting it was like the end of the day in hollywood and all the lights well, it wasn't the lights coming on but everyone was leaving so yeah. sharon tate was leaving the cinema and um and you know and DiCaprio was leaving the movie set yeah and it played this cal this beautiful like you know just soothing all the leaves are brown yeah are- oh it's very it's a very very beautiful track and um and interestingly, because I I did it didn't I didn't really clock this. I remember hearing it in the movie, obviously, but it wasn't when I looked at it in the soundtrack and I saw okay, it's um, a Spanish cover, yep. but it says English version, right? It's it's an English version. So d- has this guy recorded a, a Spanish version? He must, he must because have, yeah, yeah. So yeah, written by John Phillips and, and Michelle Phillips. It was first recorded with Barry Maguire, uh, California Dreaming. Oh, oh very good, very good. Yeah. Um, moving on. Yep. Uh, yep. 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 So, basically, Dynamite. Uh, it's a third spaghetti. It was a Dalton film, which was directed by Antonio Margheriti. You know when you know when he goes to Italy and yeah. he films three movies, and Kurt Russell does the kind of the the narrator part yeah. and talks about it there. Yeah. One of the films is called Dynamite. Right. And he goes by a film by an Italian director, uh, Antonio Margheriti. Yeah. Antonio Margheriti from. Glorious Bastards. Oh, Glorious Bastards. And I was oh, like, amazing, because yes. they've obviously tied the, the, the name I, of the director in. I did not get that. 
Yeah. I did not notice that. Yeah. I feel ashamed. It. I mean, this movie is like an onion. The more you watch it, the more the layers peel back and you can oh, see... You're making me want to watch it's, it again. It's, fanta- it's fantastic with that. I, I thought that was really, that was really, really funny. What I don't understand is bullshit. The, the whole thing with the scene with the dog in the end. Yeah. The whole... Obviously, the... the so you go... A Tarantino fans want to see the kind of... They're overly violent. They're overly pushy, and it, and it held back, and it held yeah. back. Do people do people want to what, like actively be like, oh, okay, Quentin Tarantino's brought a movie. I can't wait to see what gratuitous acts of violence he depicts in this movie. Because I'm <laughs> I'm I'm just saying it now. I don't go to see it for I'd, that. I'd be lying if I said that. It wasn't. A oh, part of the you movie are. Oh, I don't look. I it's don't all go coming out. I'm going to see these things, but like, it, it's kind of. I, I, I will be honest with you. Okay, here's a question. If right. that final... And I remember watching it thinking, God, the final third of the movie was, was really brutal. It's only like the last 20 minutes. It's a very short yeah, segment it's very in short, a long yeah. movie. So it's not even the final third. It's like the final sixth of the movie or eighth yeah, yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's a very small section. And it was enough. But do you think the movie would have been as well received if that whole scene wasn't in it? Well, it needed, it just it, kind of... it, it, it needed to be in it. Yeah. The, the film takes a long time as a as i said no plot it just grinds through the setting yeah it just it grinds through the setting and that's all well and good but when you like when you when you go to see a movie you you do kind of want that kind of cathartic release Mm. and so i think what tarantino did was like well why don't i just kill the manson pricks yeah yeah <laughs> in the most tarantino-y gruesome way possible and he did the same thing with hitler in, in glorious Bastards. again a that. very cathartic yeah. moment seeing yeah. hitler being machine gunned in the face that was it and do you know what i loved about that scene as well it's just how rubbery it looks at the end do you know at the end you're like it's quite clearly fake, it's quite he clear doesn't even care. It, yeah he just doesn't even care and and it's it's supposed to be tongue-in-cheek that's why like i don't mind these um, the the depictions of gruesome violence yeah. is because in no way does it look real. I was much more affected. Do you not think so? No, I, I was. Right. I was much more affected by the violence depicted in the recent movie Joker. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because that was like that was real looking mm, mm. and the and the context behind the violence was um, believable and appropriate sure um and that affected me as an act of violence i don't i don't want to come across like you didn't think the flamethrower was that real you didn't think the flamethrowing a girl who's already fallen yeah i know but like but like (laughs) but like okay so when the violence happens in joker right Yeah, yeah yeah it's um it's like you know, you pick up the paper or you turn on the news the next day and you say, and you say, there's been a murder and there's been a murder no, 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 on, on what, a train. What does that mean? There's been a murder. There's been a murder. <laughs> there's, been a, there's been a murder on the train. Three three um, city workers have been shot dead while um, coming home from a night out. Yeah. That's something you read and you go, oh my God, that's, that, that's horrendous. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's, um, let, let, let's swap that with, um, with, Retiring movie star yeah. burns to death a woman in a knife yeah. in his pool yeah, yeah, in yeah. the Hollywood Hills. You go, 
Nah, nah. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Do you know what? I don't think so as well. They were away in Italy for six months. That dog is so well trained to, even after six months of no training, of no, of no discipline. But Brad he, Pitt was looking after yeah, him. Yeah, I know, but he only gets back that night. And then he's in there with a the dog. And then the dog responds to the whistle on the on the on the. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, you've, you know when he has the gun. You know when he has the gun, and he's and he's got and he goes, and the dog jumps for the the, the wrist. Yeah, that is good. Has he trained the dog that well that it's that good? Yeah. I don't. Th- I just don't think that after six months that dog would still be able to like respond and save his life like oh, that. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I'm like, saying, I'm like I on that thing there. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like I. It was and it's great because obviously the whole play with him and the dog builds up, and I think that's quite quite imaginative that it's Brad Pitt that has the pet dog because yeah. in some ways he is DiCaprio's pet dog. Oh, I mean that's opening a big that's opening a big can of worms there. Or but a then, can of dog food. Or a can. Oh, there he are. He's done it. Oh, <laughs> like very good. Very good. Yeah, very, that was very very quick. Uh, well, no, you couldn't have because that was me that said can of worms. So unless I was in it. I was in it from the beginning and Real deliberately hero. queued you up. I'm the hero on this one. You are, you the, are human the hero. Being. You're the human being. I'm I here. just don't... But, yeah. I think, but I do generally feel like the point of the the Manson switch around in the last scene is not only because Tarantino was just like, there's this horrific thing that happened that I want to address that like I wish it actually went down like this. Yeah. In, in the structure of the movie, to have that like cathartic ending, to have... The villains, as you were, get to to have a very simple movie trope of mm-hmm. the villain gets defeated at the end of the movie, even in the context of a movie that isn't really about that. Mm-hmm. It you do come away with, you know, satisfied satisfaction. So I said I said the f- favorite song. My I think probably the one the song that I listened to the most from this soundtrack was the um, You Just Keep Me Hanging On, the Vanilla Fudge one, oh, during that one. chaotic scene. Because it's like a chaotic rock song. It's just, things are just happening and there's synthesizers through it and the drums and there's off beats and there's rapid drumming and then it slows down and it goes, set me free, don't you, babe? And it's just yeah. like, oh. And the bit when he throws the cat. Do you know who's great? It's Mickey, is it Mikey, Mickey Madsen. The girl who's one of the Manson killers who has the can of dog food thrown at her, and when she makes that radical, it's Michael Madsen. It's Mike. It's Mickey Mad. Mickey Madsen. I think's her name. But Michael Madsen is. Oh, you're yeah. not kidding. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they're. Oh no, Madison. Madison. Sorry, I can't right, remember. Okay. Highly dislike. <laughs> her name. <laughs> and I was like, no, Michael Madsen's actually Mickey, in this movie. He's he a Tarantino is, he is regular. He isn't it? Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. He but is he was, in this movie. He goes, that's what Mickey, I said. Mickey Madsen. That's not Madsen at all. That's. Madison. That's, that's Brown. <laughs> this is Brown. No, it's Madison. You need to get someone to see to. She, oh, you know when God. she makes that scene about the pigs in Hollywood and wouldn't it be crazy if we killed the pigs who taught us the violence oh, the piggies, thing? Yeah, yeah I think God. that's great, that scene. And then it just plays really well with that um, You Keep Me Hanging On, which a song that I listen to so much. Yeah. The other song from it was the Miss, uh, the Miss Lily Langtree, which is from the show The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean, which is the ending kind of like wisteria almost sort of sweeping music that's played as as he walks into the Polanski house after he's telling them about yeah. what actually happened in there and the ambulance is left yeah and it's like that kind of that kind of sparkly sort of harp almost plays in the background as it says you've been watching or once upon a time in Hollywood yeah and I thought that was quality yeah and it's a great it's a it's a great ending for Leonardo DiCaprio's character as well 
because he you know he, he mentions a couple of times in the movie that like he's not really friends with Sharon Tate and Polanski his neighbours because yeah. they're the new hot things in yeah, Hollywood yeah, and yeah. he used to be the hot thing and then at the end of the movie he gets invited in by and them it's and he, it's like he's back in the gang mm. and he's like it's all going to work out yeah. fine and I think it's very rare that um, that Tarantino movies finish yeah. like that yeah yeah none of the central characters died none of them did no none of them were there they all won you they were just the, living what do you think of, before we go on what do you think of the flamethrower great you like it yeah, I want one. Why did she just? Did, why didn't she like? Surely it's not that effective. Why didn't she just duck under the water? Was she's it? in the pool and she gets hit with a flamethrower. Just duck. No, but was just, it? Just, just swim. She was already pretty messed up when she fell into the pool. She, she had like swam. glass. She was blind. Oh, she didn't know what, what was going on. She, could just, she didn't know just what was going on. I would just duck under the water. You know, she's, you? she's standing at waist depth. Just duck under That's the water. That's you. Mate. You've you've just duck under the water, mate. <laughs> just duck under the water. It's like that old. Yeah, Cal's fixed it. What would you do? Chucky came running at you. Just kick him. Don't worry. Don't worry. Just kick him. Don't worry. Just duck under the water. Boy. Don't worry, listeners. Cal's got a fix for every for every movie that just you duck love. Under the water, mate. <laughs> what do you think? Two thumbs up for that one. Definitely two thumbs yeah, up. Great... We didn't do thumbs up for we drive. Didn't do thumb, thumbs up drive. Yeah. I'd give I'd I'd give um I'd give two thumbs up. Mm. I would give a thumbs up and a Whacking Phoenix Gladiator not dis- not decided if he's going to die or not thumbs. What do you mean? What, the end of... Oh, oh you know, a middle thumb. Oh, a middle thumb. You know, you know when... No, no, it's like Emperor. one of... Give it a one thumb. Well, give it, it has to be perfect. That's one and a half thumbs. One and a half thumbs. What, like a sideways thumb? That was yeah, and that's what I said. You know, Emperor Emperor of Rome deciding if a gladiator is going to die. Do that his... again, because you had your one thumb at the side. It's like ten and two, like you're driving on a steering wheel. If you say so. That's how you do it. I don't. I don't drive. You I don't wouldn't drive, know. Oh yeah, you don't drive, do you? Oh yeah. Oh, drive. Yeah. So so none of so that whole movie has made nothing to you because you can't relate to the driver. Yeah, because that's <laughs> that that's what the movie's actually about. None of the other stuff that you went into in detail on. It's not about that either. It's just about oh, check out this car. You've never, you've... Check out the driving on display here. Oh my goodness. You mean you've never driven someone down a levee with their with their son in the seat next no. to you? You've just smiled and Absolutely. I was saying they're going the I was telling everyone in the cinema, I just want to point out that I can't relate to this Excuse scene. Excuse me, everybody. I don't Excuse drive. Excuse me, everybody. I have nothing to say to this scene, so could we just skip it forward to the non driving elements? Yeah. Like Personally, it? I feel underrepresented in movies. There's a lot of people... driving in both of these movies. In all movies. I oh want to see God. a movie for the people that don't drive in this world. For the for the, for the walkers. For the pedestrians. For the pedestrians. Yes. And we should call it pedestrian. Walk the line. That's already a movie. Yeah, it's a music movie though. Yeah. We should do that one. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be a one thumb up, is it? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably a good movie. I'm not Lord seeing it. Now, maybe that's why you like Lord of the Rings so much. Because mm. it's just a walking to Middle Earth. Because it's just a walk. Yeah, it's there's no ca- no cars in it Lord of the Rings. It's basically a beautiful long walk, that movie. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Sam and Frodo's walk, lovely walk to the yep. to the there. That's fair enough. Okay, yeah. cool. Going to the next se- section of the show. Yeah, why not? We'll call this section moving forward. Um, yeah. What do you want to move forward about? Something you want to talk? Something you want to bring to us? Oh well. Um... No, because as you know, I did zero, zero <laughs> prep for the, movie, I was, for the news section. I saw, I saw something that made me laugh uh, the other day on the tube, right? And I was coming up the elevator in the tube station that I get off at, and it was advertising night out with ABBA. 
You know the ABBA. The I think I've seen that. I've seen it where you yeah. can go along there. You like the you like did you like the ABBA films, the Mamma Mia films and stuff like that there? In a very guilty pleasure kind of yeah. way. Yes. Oh, we have a friend whose auntie was in that movie. Oh yes, we do. Yeah. And on the and and on the stage show, I believe. Really? Yeah. Do you think it was the same? Well, I think that's how she got I could be wrong, but I think that's how she got the part in the movie is because she was part of the original West End stage production. Oh, and she plays an instrument in it, obviously. Do you think she but she doesn't actually play the instrument? Do you know what I mean when you watch it on a on a film, am I right in thinking? You'll know this. No, no, no. I'm uh, no. Um, for a movie like Mamma Mia, there's only a couple of movie musicals that do live musical performance. Sure, Les Misérables is one of them, where they where where when you hear them sing in the finished product, it's not re-recorded. It's actually them singing the lines on set as they're acting. Most of the time, like in Mamma Mia, they'll probably sing it while they're acting doing it but what you hear is a studio recording did i tell you that on the subject of lemmas that i was in chatham dockyard a couple of weeks a week or so ago oh were you and we were and we were walking around we were looking at ships and and sort of stuff like this and we got to this warehouse and the tour guide woman was sort of showing us around she was really funny actually and she kind of went now this is one of my most favorite sheds on the whole site and basically they have this big long rope making Now there's shit. a riveting I know, statement. I know, I know. I was like, oh, fantastic. Here we go. And she goes, this is where, because they film loads of scenes in Chatham Dockyard. For loads yeah. of, they were filming The Crown whilst we were there. So that, I think it was Olivia Coleman's oh, cool. setting up for her next season. Do four. you watch that? Nah, nah not really. I do. Yeah, it's great. So, we, so they're filming outside um, this big stage. And she goes, this is this, this is the shed that they filmed in Les Mis. Where she goes, at the end of the day. Da, 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 oh, okay, da, cool. Da, da, da. And that scene there. And she goes, I love this shed. I love it. We saw Hugh, Jack- Hugh Jackman in here and, and Anne Hathaway. They were all, because they were actually singing in this shed. This I mean, how many shed. other people can say that they had Hugh Jackman and Anne Hathaway singing in their shed? In the shed. And she was like, but it was really funny because she didn't really work for this. I think she was like, she was a tour guy, but didn't really have the keys for the site. And we were on the group. We were we were a terrible group. We were boisterous. We kept talking over stuff. We'd had like a beer or two at lunch. Yeah. It, was just, it was just not working. But she was actually, she was so sweet. And she, and she goes, we were like, to my favourite shed. We are like, it's, it's exactly how it was in the movie. And we were like, can we see inside? And she was like, uh, no. And our friend Matt, and our friend Matt was like, you've hesitated. And she was like, I mean, I think I can guess the combination. We were like, guess the combination on the lock. And she was like, I go on, do it. it was like, and she was like, okay. It's peer pressured by the worst group in the world. Oh, you're, she you're. Went, she went over and she keyed it in and she went, I don't know it. And I'm like, you didn't have to even do that. Just You're say no. You're the worst. Just say no to You're us. the worst. We were, and we walked around and, uh, oh God, we made such, such a fool of myself. So basically, there's a rope factory and we were in this group and there was how they make rope and we had a shot making this, making a bit of rope, which I was just quite, that was quite fun. Like really thick Like rope. making rope for ships. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And we, and so it's the longest building in Europe and the longest single brick building in Europe or the world it might have been and where they make the rope. And we were outside and they were they were saying it's interesting, round the back of this old shed there's still this sort of like a pigeonhole-esque sort of thing. And what used to happen was the workers would show up and they would, would bring their smokes but they'd have to lock their cigarettes away. Because if a fire started in this building, that was seen as treason because you were basically plotting to kill the king and the king's ships. Uh, so they okay. couldn't smoke so they had to lock them, up, they had to lock them away. And, uh, and and someone said, oh, do they have to, what, how do they kill, you know, what's the, it goes, death, no, they're, they're hanged. 
And he goes, no, but well, they make them finish the rope first before they kill them. Of course they do. I, I was just like, oh my... And so they, and, and, uh, and they says, well, it's the same thing with Cat of Nine Tails. You know when they say, like, the cat out the bag, Cat of Nine Tails? But they make them tie the knots in their rope before they do it. And that's why they say, don't let the cat out the bag. Or, Is that where that comes yeah, from? Or there's not enough room in here to swing a cat. And I spoke up and I went, and the famous song, What's New Pussycat? Tom Jones. And everyone just looked at me. And everyone was like, oh what are you God. talking about? And I was like, nope, no, the crowd. And then, and then everyone just sort of stared and I went, yeah, are there other cat songs? And then, yeah. and then there was an awkward yeah. silence. You know, you can't just chat shit with everyone <laughs> like you chat shit to me, Callum. Like, then, it doesn't work with was, the general population. And then we were walking on to the next chain and I just went, we built this kitty on rock and roll. <laughs> oh, you didn't. Oh, that's and horrific. And everyone was just like, okay, cool. I will keep walking. Oh, man. Oh, mate. Maybe if I no. sneak one in there, another one in, I'll, I'll rectify this situation. But I made such a fool of myself. Oh, <laughs> so I reckon funny. you secretly enjoy making a fool of yourself. I quite funny. Because why not? That's what we're here for, isn't it? And a great quote from my mate last night. He was like, life is complicated and we're stupid. So just be stupid. <laughs> Very <laughs> this good. Is a, this is a couple of bottles of wine in. Um, I was saying about the ABBA advert on the tube. Oh yeah, back, 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 back to that. Sorry, back, to, back that. to that. <laughs> so basically on the, um, the the slogan for the ABBA advert, it said on it, it said, night out with ABBA is the best escape. The best escape? I know. The best escape. Is that not just the wrong choice of words? I mean, that, isn't that quite a sad thing that you're like, oh, I'm going to escape? Yes, I ABBA. love being told by advertisements that my life is so incredibly <laughs> exactly. mundane exactly. and painful. It's like, you know, when they see the, the, the adverts on the tube for like the, the, the woman's yawning and it's the kind of the, the energy drops because people don't get enough sleep in London and people yeah. listen, oh, you need to escape the monotony of life and come and say, mama mia, here we I go reckon, I reckon the, ad, the advertisement of the yawning woman is contributing to the problem because yawns are contagious I'm sorry you see a you see a you see a picture of a woman yawning yeah you're gonna yawn well is it not is it not your loved ones or your family or stuff when you see them yawning I think that's the that's the because it's almost it's it's an anthropology sort of study on this it's the same thing if someone's being sick everyone else wants to be sick because it goes back to the days where you would all probably have eaten the same source if one of you was was vomiting everyone else would because you're all being poisoned do you not know that no I didn't know that did that make sense I mean, it kind of made sense. Is it just a rambling, rambling I'm not sure of an idiot? I'm not, when you vomit I'm, and everyone vomit. I'm not sure I believe you. <laughs> no, it's true, it's true. I think, I, I, I'm, I'm almost certain, I'm almost certain, there is another one, right. but I can't, I can't remember it. Um, but no, and I, yeah, I think, I think yawning is contagious and there is, there is, a, there is a scientific reason for it, but I'm not yeah. smart enough to even... Oh, there's got to be, it, it's not, this. it can't just be, it can't just be coincidence that like, yeah. it's got to be, yeah. Can I tell you, can I talk about something different? Yeah, go on. The Irishman has come to Netflix. Uh, yes, very excited to watch it. Have not, seen have it, not have yet. Have you not seen it yet there? No. So I was watching The Irishman and it was really great. We got halfway through it and God, yeah. it's long. Yeah. It's three and a half I don't hours. think anyone would judge you for splitting that movie into two things. So this is a kind of segue on a segue on a segue. But oh, we do love those. Fantastic in the... It's Joe Pesci is just fantastic in this movie. He plays this kind of like the, like the dawn almost like... He's just, everything goes past him. He knows yeah. everything that's going on and you don't get something without his permission. And he's, there's a really great scene. like the Godfather. He's kind of, you know, there's a few characters who are kind of the Godfather and it, it tells a story from an emerging sort of gangster in, in this kind of, yeah. uh, in the, the Philadelphia region. It's, and it's amazing. 
Isn't it amazing that you can't make a gangster movie without being compared to The Godfather, though? Or Goodfellas, I think. Goodfellas. Goodfellas. Sorry, yeah. the Goodfellas of the pizza Goodfellas. joint. The Goodfellas the pizza. pizza joint. The pepperoni, a lovely slice of life. I think it. <laughs> I think they're quite. I think they're quality. Oh god. But Pesci is fantastic in it, and Netflix have also released, and we were talking about this when you came in. Yeah. And it's it's a series called the move. Is it the movies that made us? Hang on, the movies. Uh, the movies that made us is yeah. the new series that's coming out, and it's a four part documentary series that looks at four uh, famous Hollywood movies and it was Dirty Dancing right. Home Alone Ghostbusters and Die Hard great and I've only had a chance to see the Ghostbusters episode um, and I saw a little bit of the I um, have not seen one of those movies tell know. me which one which of those movies I've not seen there's only one that I've not seen tell me which one it is Die Hard no Come Dirty on. Dancing you've got so little faith in me you think I've not seen Die Hard I'll be honest I don't think I've seen it from start to finish Seriously, I think I have seen it from. I've oh. seen most of it. Obviously, a lot of the scenes they got a lot. Of, they lo- they got a lot of stick for that movie as well because they're portraying an American hero who's in- inherently runs away from the violence and is very vulnerable because of his the glass in his feet and stuff. They, well, they, that's they what makes it a great action. Movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And it and also things. the the best Christmas movie. It, it Christmas movie. Yeah, he said. Yeah, it's a Christmas says, movie. A Christmas... I'll have words with anyone that says otherwise. The, um... The other Christmas movie was the Home Alone, which is be- beautiful, beautiful scene, and it's amazing how they they were they were shooting that on set in Chicago, somewhere you're yeah. f- familiar with, city. Yeah, you, you were you studied for a while. I love Chicago. You've yeah, been over there, and it was amazing how they they filmed all the, the sort of snow scenes outside. They actually used um, potato, they used parts of shredded potato to try and get the sort of falling falling snowfall scenes. Seriously, they were singing. It was, it was really mad. amazing, and, and apparently <laughs> the, the the potato started to go off, and so the whole set exterior started to smell oh god almost of this like outside anyway they, they talk into it in far more detail i i huge recommendation for that one there yeah. I, I thought it was really 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 amazing and uh, the other one as well was was the whole ghostbusters thing can you tell me who the original ghostbusters were supposed to be actor wise so dan oh, like who they who they wanted yeah. originally so it was dan Aykroyd, but yeah. who did dan Aykroyd envision the other and it was only three of them supposed to be not four Right. Who were the, the other two? I've got no idea. I'm guessing not Bill Murray. It wasn't Bill Murray. No, no, no. Oh, well, I'm betting. So, Dan, so think about it. Dan Aykroyd and another famous actor who they've acted with in a, in a, in a great... Not movie. Jim Belushi. Yeah, John Belushi. Really? Yeah, so John oh. Belushi. It was, he was written with it with idea. And Eddie Murphy. So oh, they were supposed okay. to be the original, original sort of Ghostbusters. Okay. Go on there. And the Ghostbusters... That would have been a good movie. So the Ghostbusters <laughs> one was really amazing. And I picked up a really great... Uh, a little snippet about the, the song who are you gonna call a great great piece of music was ray park ray parker jr yeah who, who wrote it for the for the movie and because because ghostbusters itself was the turnaround was one year yeah think how mad that is the whole movie was done in a year yeah they basically said we're releasing it summer 84 and and we, we started 83 and we just go for it so we're talking pre-production every principal photography post-production Everything. release and it's amazing because they wow they they had because there's a lot of special effects well and movie. that's it and the special effects are the key to this so it was, it was IML, I believe, was the, the special effects department that were there, and they were the only major special effects department. Yeah. But because there was, I think there was a there was a sort of an argument within this mass special effects department, and a couple of them went rogue and started their own special effects company. Yeah. And the first major project was Ghostbusters. Yeah. So it was a one of its kind. This was the second major special, the underdog special effects department that was made up of 
previous members of this huge special, and I can't remember the name of it. I need to I need to look it up there. Yeah. But an, an amazing, an amazing insight to it. But what was amazing is the song, um, who are you gonna call Ghostbusters? They had, they they didn't know how they wanted to get the word Ghostbusters into the song because it was originally going to be called Ghost Breakers because they couldn't get the license for Ghostbusters. Why was that already a Ghost, thing? Yeah, it's already a thing. Yeah, yeah. Ghostbusters. So the, 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 the the title or Ghostbusters was already a thing it was on, it was one of the last things that they actually got round to changing. Right. Was and so they filmed everything as Ghostbusters and Ghostbreakers. Ghost Breakers. I know it sounds Ugh. mad. It sounds well. What what um. The uh, Back to the Future was going to be called the Something Men from Mars, wasn't it? Or or the, the Spacemen from Pluto. Did you not know this? No, yeah, I had yeah, no yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's amazing some of these. Uh, you could just be saying anything. No, I no, I did it. I mean, actually, yeah, correct. Writing from absolute wrong. But what's amazing is, and I love about that was that they they said we want to get the word Ghostbusters in the song for yeah. this, but we're and we're willing to to do what we can. But and Ray Park Jr. struggled. To kind of get, what do we call this? And they kind of had a few melodies on the go. But they were watching um, infomercials on TV, like exterminators. Because that's what they are. Yeah. They're basically exterminators yeah. in a row. And all the adverts were saying, like, you know, who are you going to you call? You're going to call this yeah. number and all this stuff. And they went, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Yeah. And that's kind of where it came from there. Yeah. Um, and again, like, I'd recommend this series because they really go into detail and they sort of talk no, about it. No, you've definitely it's, sold the series it's, to it's me. Quality. So I will definitely be um, sticking that on my on my watch list yeah, yeah. so definitely looking forward to that and the, what else have you got uh well the other one was always was the, the dirty dancing which was where they, they talked about it and there's obviously a lot of music yeah well that's the one that i've not seen dirty dancing you've not seen dirty dancing yeah that's the one that i've not seen nobody puts alex in the corner yep anything else uh, I don't know. No, no, nothing more. Yeah, oh, don't think so. Do you know what you're gonna do next week? You got movie. Yes, I do that? know what I'm gonna say. Tease it, or should we leave it for now? I don't know. Should we say what we're doing next week, or should we? Should we just I'm wait? Doing. I quite like announcing it. Okay. I, I quite like it. I quite like announcing it, even though it's always it's it's always gonna be in the title description. Sure. Yeah. And stuff yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. We'll stick, we'll stick up I think. Um, no, no. We'll we'll leave each episode, but I mean, I think it's safe to say we're trying to link the movies that we talk about both in the episodes themselves and some kind of tenuous loose link from the previous episode before yeah, yeah. i don't know how successful we'll continue being that yeah. but it's, it's it's a good thing going forward it's fun it's a yeah. fun passion project we yeah. like this we would be doing this even if you weren't listening to us yeah we would be sat in someone's house talking utter shit winding each other up anyway so it doesn't really matter yeah whether you listen or not or no we'd love you to listen find us on itunes find us there uh give us some five stars in the podcast we really love that and appreciate it there but teasing us for next week you're going to be doing i thought we weren't going to do that oh, we weren't going to do it no i think we're just, no i think i think we're just gonna like you know oh, drum roll in the podcast okay. and nice. then go oh this is what we're talking about this week nice yeah okay just know that there'll be a bit of a, a link yeah it'll be it'll be somewhat related and it's down In to you to way. find the link because yeah. we're not going to say if you can if you can guess it before the podcast comes out then extra points to you how would i link shrek 2 to drive i'm sure i'm sure we can think <laughs> of a way <laughs> he doesn't drive in that in that film at all does, does he? he not there's nothing no. so you're not ride a horse well no but you uh yeah but then you can relate to it because no one drives in that movie so yeah that's fair enough yeah. fair enough i probably does drive I reckon uh, that's that. Yeah, that's it. Anything cool. else? No. Thanks for listening, guys. Okay, speak to you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Ta-ta. Bye.